Welcome back, dear listeners, to yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod, and joining me up in Shepparton is Michael Van Dorsa. Michael, I hope you're doing well. We've both just had a bit of a bit of a shock, if you will, a little bit of an earthquake here in Victoria. Hope everyone's okay. Uh, apparently, felt as far away as Adelaide and Launceston. I've never felt an earthquake this big before, so I'm still recovering from it. <laughs> How are you doing? Uh, I think I'm doing okay. <laughs> I'm just checking, making sure I've got all my limbs and everything <laughs> intact because, my goodness, 5.8, early reports of a 5.8 earthquake just south of Mount Buller. I'll be honest, I'm glad I'm not up at the mountain today because that would have been just bonkers, to be perfectly honest. Yep, would have been terrifying. Um, on to footy, basically, this episode... We're going to be reviewing the major awards that have just come out. Coach of the Year, Brownlow, Mark of the Year, Goal of the Year. Discussing whether or not the decisions were correct in regards to those. Then we will review the prelim finals. Why did uh, Geelong and Port Adelaide lose? Why did the Bulldogs and Melbourne win? And then we will uh, review the final series as a whole, talking about our favorite moments least favorite moment and then we will uh take a look at the 16 teams that aren't playing in the grand final and uh having a little early prediction about how they'll go in 2022 but let's start off with the major awards and we'll kind of work our way up to the major 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 award of Brownlow. so let's get started with goal of the year caleb sarong ah sarong so right uh Great piece of commentating. Fantastic piece of commentary. And I'll tell you what, Anthony Hudson does a great job. Can yes. they do commentator of the year for us, please? Like, <laughs> for mine, it'd be between Hutto, Howard, and possibly Brayshaw. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, they're probably my three top commentators going around at the moment. Um, Hutto just made that even better. I was sitting there watching it and just going, the commentary on this that yep. just makes the goal of the year sound uh, incredible. Yep. And you're right. That's so wrong, but so right sort of comment is it's just, I don't know if he practices it. I'd love to find out. I'd love to interview him and, and find out if he actually practices these sayings. But they just sound so, like they came just so quickly for him. Um, yeah. Another one to put into the highlight bank for him. Absolutely. Now, um, about the actual goal itself, was it goal of the year? I think so. I'm happy with it. I'm happy with that getting goal of the year. Um, people will argue that Bontempelli should have probably got it. Yeah, yeah, he was going the wrong way. He kicked a new great goal. I, I think the just the whole um, feel for um, the moment. Sarong got knocked over, kept the ball in play, got back up without even thinking through it on the boot. Just goal. I'm happy with it. I don't have a problem with it. Um, yeah, I think the only, I think the only people who would have problems with it probably be salty West Coast supporters saying it was out of bounds before that. But I'm glad it wasn't. Did they call it? No, and I'm glad they didn't because what a goal, what a goal, and that call right at the end. You have every right to be amazed. We're still amazed all these weeks later, and I reckon we'll be amazed for many years to come. Now, mark of the year. This, I think, is a little bit more controversial. Shy Bolton against Geelong. 
Was that the mark of the year? Are you saying it's controversial considering it didn't even get mark of the week? <laughs> yes, partially. <laughs> what do you What do you reckon? To all the Collywood supporters. Yeah. Um, look, you had Rewalt going back into the pack, um, like his cousin all those years ago up in Sydney. You had um, Tim O'Brien in the goal square. I think, as a friend of mine said to me or messaged me and said, picture-wise, that was probably the best mark to take a photo of. I mean, with the crowd behind, and it just looked really cool. Um, and will come up better on a frame, I think. I, I mean, obviously, as a Hawthorne supporter, you know I would prefer to um, go with go with what uh, Tim O'Brien. Um, but I'm happy... I don't mind that one. I think it was a really good one. Um, I thought... <laughs> did I say it's better than Gary Moorcroft's from 2001? Whoa. Whoa, wow. Okay. Let's I, I just... Hold okay. on a second. I okay. I, I'm just asking the question because it was it's an interesting one. Um, Moorcroft's one-on-one was, was interesting. How high did he get? Yeah. At least it looks like it was meant to be like he was up in a pack um and let's be honest Moorcroft only took it over Brad Johnson okay that's true <laughs> but I, I mean yeah oh you, you're comparing apples with oranges I was happy with Shy Bolton getting that Moorcroft at one stage was horizontal that's yeah. far more spectacular okay all right and I'm not saying that just as an Essendon supporter, although that is definitely part of the reason why I'm saying that. Um, as for the mark of the year this year, I don't know. Yes, I think it's a more photogenic mark. But at the same time, the award isn't the most photogenic mark of the year. Yep. I think, honestly, I think Rewalt's mark was better because he jumped from the front of the pack yeah. and in midair just before he caught it, he turned almost 180 degrees to take that mark. Yep. Like the timing of it, the athleticism of it was spectacular. Like, let's admit, let's admit, part of the reason why Shy Bolton's mark was so amazing is because of the little kick that he did right at the end before he came down, which yeah, let's admit, he didn't have to do. But can I also make an interesting point? Go for it. With all due respect to everyone that was uh, up for Mark of the Year for all these awards, have a look at who won them and have a look at who was in the crowd. Yep. Every single awardee was there in person in Perth. Hindsight, I know, but every single awardee was in Perth. Mm. Yeah, very interesting, eh? I'm just throwing it out there. Very interesting. I'm not saying um, as, a, as a conspiracy theory. It's just an observation. Just go with it from there. Now, coach of the year, Simon Goodwin in first, Luke Beveridge in second, and Leon Cameron in third. What are your thoughts, MVD? Were the, the best three coaches of the year? Leon Cameron in third. Third. Okay. Um, Let me quadruple check that because that sounded right when I said it. Believe no, that's that's okay. I, I'm I'm gobsmacked. Um, I'm surprised 
Cameron in third. I mean, obviously, grand final coaches will be one and two. Throw a blanket over them. Whoever wins the grand final coach of the year, I'm okay with that. Um, Goodwin, and to be perfectly honest, I think Goodwin definitely with the way it's come about, the way things have happened. Uh, would be interesting to know where Ken, Ken Hinckley was. It um it would be the the AFL article only lists the top three though. Mm. But I oh, I think GWS have underperformed again. Personally, oh, I'm not sure. And look, we'll we'll discuss we'll discuss this later when we talk about the Giants. I'm not sure that's 100 fair with all the injuries that they've had this year. Oh, true, they've had injuries. But how many times do we hear? Did we hear from? And yeah, okay, it, the great teams when they have injuries they find soldiers to replace them like when a soldier i'm okay i'm going to trot out the clarko line when when a soldier goes down they have another soldier to come in ready to go that's true i look we'll 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 get onto the giants later so i don't want to talk about it too much but i still remember when they beat geelong and geelong this year and it was like one of the youngest teams to take to a football field for any team in, in a really, really, really long time. Yeah. And they won. Oh, don't get me wrong. There's been some great games that they've had and, and they've done some fantastic things, but I'm not sure it was worthy of a top three. Yeah. Where do, where do they finish on the ladder again? Uh, before finals, they were seventh. After finals. Seventh, wasn't it? Yeah, seventh. Oh, no, they, they won the prelim. Uh, they won the elimination. They lost the semi. Yeah, so they finished sixth. Sixth, yeah. Look, at least they, I mean, who else can you put in third? Oh, I've thrown up Ken Hinckley. They made the prelim. Maybe John Longmire? John Longmire, they played the, they, if John Longmire had have made a final, uh, won a final possibly, Ben Rutten could have, probably could have been put in there. Chris Fagan, like, I mean, you look at it. I, I already thought the top three in the coach of the year would have come down to at least out of the top, out of the top four sides. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I guess it's kind of expectations as well before yeah. a season started because Geelong and Port Adelaide, who we'll get to in a second, they were. They, they they finished in the top four last year. One made a grand final. The other one made a prelim final. Expectations were they would be around where they finished. So the fact that they finished prelim finalists, not that surprising. And in some circles would be considered disappointing, the fact that they didn't make the grand final this year. Oh, I completely agree. I'm not saying that at all. But I just find it fascinating. I, yeah. Yeah. Anyways. What about um, you? Do you, what do you do? You agree with it? Yeah, probably. Um, I think maybe maybe John Longmire a little bit stiff not to get third, considering the Swans went from sixteenth to seventh mm. in the space yep. of a year. Um, but with that being said, the Giants, with the injuries that they've had and the suspensions that they've had, and the fact that they've had to play outside of New South Wales for the last nine weeks or so. And they still managed to make a semi-final. I think it's been a pretty good season from them. Um, and there's, we'll get on to what I think for 2022 in a second. 
Now, the major award, Brownlow Medal, first time ever a Port Adelaide player has won the Brownlow Medal. Full kudos to you, Ollie Wines. It was a thrilling count. Four players finished 30 plus. I can't remember a Brownlow count like that. Uh, an absolute thrilling finish between Wines and Bonton Pally. Was the right winner awarded in the end? Yes. I've seen a lot of people questioning things at the moment. I'm like, why are we questioning it? Yeah, fair. Like, there's no, there's no other way. You have a look at it. Wines won, what? He won the triple MVP. He won the. He's he's won different awards. Bontempelli's won different awards. Clayton Oliver's gone and won different awards. Uh, you look at it and go, well, I don't see. I don't. Why are people asking the question? Like, I don't understand it. I'll throw in another first for you. It's the first Golden Valley League footballer to have won a Brownlow medal as well. A GVL represent. Correct. Uh, Achuka Murray Bombers. Um, And to be honest, it's unbelievable. Like, um, it's great for Achuka. It's great for our local footballing league. but you have a look, but also you have a look at that leaderboard. How many country Victorian footballers were on there? Like out of the top ten, I reckon if I, without the top ten in front of me, I would say there would have been at least eight or nine country players that started their careers in country football. Oliver's, uh, sorry, Wines, uh, Achuka, Bontempelli's somewhere, Bendigo way, uh, Clayton Oliver, Marupna, um, Darcy Parish. These sort of players, they're coming, Sam Walsh coming from um, country, country Victoria. And it's, and it's fantastic to see. It gives hope to the kids that are, that are playing country footy as well. Yeah. No. Are you, are you happy with Ollie Wines winning it? Oh yeah. 100%. 100%. And I had, you know, I had a Bulldog supporting friend uh, messaging me afterwards going, Oh, Bonton Pally. You know, maybe he should have won it. Maybe it shouldn't have. And I said, no, because Bontempelli's last three to four weeks of the home and away season were Indicative of the Bulldogs' last three to four weeks. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it, the dog's form was reflected in Bontempelli's form and vice versa. Um, it's part of the reason why the dogs were so poor was because Bontempelli wasn't playing as well. While Ollie Wines was consistent from pretty much round one, until the qualifying final. Unfortunately Correct. for him, he played his worst game of the season in the prelim, but that's besides the point. You don't count Brownlow votes in the final series. No, exactly. And he, and he was, it wasn't the only person um, that had a bad game for Port Adelaide in that prelim. But I, no. I thought, look, going into it, I'm going to toot my own trumpet here because I thought, well, why not? Um, going into it, I, I was hoping for Ollie Wines. Yeah. Um, but I also looked at it and gone, who's going to take votes off him? I mean, early yep. on, I was getting a bit worried because Travis Boak was taking a few votes and he was really the only competition I thought yep. um, had votes at Port Adelaide for Wines. But I knew Clayton Oliver was going to, him, there was going to be Clayton Oliver, Christian Pashaka, and Max Gordon that were going to get votes in Melbourne. Yeah. Bulldogs, yeah, Bontempelli was probably their standout. But you also had, I thought, Jack McRae. Um, and a couple, maybe one or two others there that could have that that did take votes off him. Um, 
but at the same time you sit there and go like you, what is it Lockie Hunter or something I saw some, some graphic um, something like 30 plus possessions and no votes I'm like it doesn't come down to how many times you pick up the ball yeah. it comes to being the most influential player on the on the ground and this talk and sorry I'm going on a rant but this Go talk that this talk that take the votes off the umpires why why do people want to take the votes off the umpires because I think I mean the umpires get get a feel for the game they're in the middle of the ground they look at it and go you know what this person actually played well it is one of the hardest jobs to do to give votes at the end of a game i know even from a hockey game like a low level hockey game and i'm i've umpired trying to find three players to give three two and one two it's it is hard and you sit there and looking around going okay who actually played really well and you've actually literally got to sit there and go quarter by quarter who did the who did the work Who's, who's generating the most play? It might not be the person that kicks that scores five goals or gets 50 touches of the pool. If they're the more, it's more, yes, it's the best and the fairest, but it's also the most, it comes down to the most influential player on the ground as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair comment. That's a fair comment. I was talking to my dad afterwards and I mentioned, I think it was Jack McCray who early in the season had like three games where he had 40 plus touches and he only out of those three games got like one Brownlow vote or something, maybe two Brownlow votes. And I was saying, surely 40 plus touches. And dad made a very good point, which was what did he do with those touches? What was the disposal efficiency? Hmm. You know, it's not all about the numbers. Well, and it comes down to the, um, the whole feeling of, yeah, were they effective? Was it a, was it an effective? Like, I'm not saying he wasn't, and I can't tell you what his disposal efficiency was. It does sound bizarre that he's got the ball 40-odd times and he doesn't do it, doesn't get the result. I mean, I remember going into a, a local GVL count. Um, what was it? Probably around 2007. Um, Michael Barlow was... I remember... Um, you might remember Michael Barlow playing for Freo. Yeah. is Shep United boy up here. And mm. I remember calling a game where he had 50 touch, fifty plus touches of the ball. Wow. And, and I sat down, I've gone, I'm like, right, I'm going to remember this game, remember what time they were playing and remember what round it was and see how he goes on Morrison Medal Night, our Brownlow. He got zero votes. Wow. And we called him the best player on the ground as a, as a commentary team. And he's sitting there going, and he got zero votes from the umpire. So it's interesting to see what they actually, how they go about it. And to be honest, we don't know. And yeah. the media don't know until they actually walk in their shoes, in the umpire's shoes for it. No, it's, it's look, I, I agree with you. And I think ultimately the most consistent and the most influential player in the competition won. Yep. So I'm okay with Ollie Wines winning it. Um, and yeah, Bont was unlucky. But it goes to show you, you have to be consistent from week to week to week. You can't have these lapses. Right. Yeah. Kudos to cut for you guys, for you as well. I'll, I'll give Darcy Parrish a wrap. Yeah. A friend of mine actually thought, oh, here comes Darcy. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, how exciting is it to see young names like Oliver, Parrish, and Walsh polling so high it's great it's great for the competition you don't ha you don't have your your martins your, your your all these uh your selwoods it's 
you you, you get you get to see this sort of stuff and you like it, it bodes for the, well for the competition you're right it was the most exciting vote count i can remember four players getting over 30 votes it, it was has never been done before um it's just bonkers and congratulations to um to everyone and with all due respect Port Adelaide versus Western Bulldogs round 23 to decide the Brownlow. I mean, Travis Old, kudos and congratulations. Like how you came up with that at the start of at the start of the year, I have no idea, but it worked out beautifully. Yeah, I don't know. Must have some way of telling the future. That was pretty um that was borderline. Don't mean to fit into conspiracy <laughs> theories. That was borderline scripted. Like it was that perfect. Yeah. Moving on. Two, uh, let's talk about before. Actually, no, do you know what? Let's review the finals, uh, the prelim finals. Two of the best matches in round 23, rematches in the prelim finals weren't nearly as good, but nevertheless, we were left with two fantastic grand finalists and two pretty shocking losers from the weekend. Let's first discuss the Opening game, Melbourne defeating Geelong by 83 points in Perth. Melbourne's biggest ever win against Geelong. Consider that they've been playing against each other since 1897. And Melbourne had never beaten Geelong by that much before. Geelong's biggest loss in a final in almost 60 years. Unbelievable. Um, Absolutely. Unbelievable. I mean, to have it sewn up at what half time, yeah. Like everyone sitting there just shaking their heads, going, "We're Melbourne that good, or we're Geelong that bad." Uh, give Melbourne credit. I think they they knew what they had to do. You ever listen to what Isaac Smith said, and he believes it's the most embarrassing forty-five minutes of football he's played, and that's coming from a bloke who's um he's played in some bad games. I suppose it's just um unbelievable. They didn't even look like it, to be perfectly honest. I mean, you, when you had the chance of taking Petrarca, Oliver, Lever, and Gorn off for the last 20 minutes of a game, like, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's just absolutely bonkers. And they, they controlled it from go to woe. Yeah, it, I agree. I don't actually, I don't know what else you can say. Like, I, I'm, I'm disappointed. I was disappointed. Prelim finals are supposed to be the best game of the year. Both of those preliminary preliminary finals were just god awful. <laughs> I think is probably the right phrase I could go with. Yep, I agree. Now, um, I want to ask you, MVD, why did Melbourne win and why did Geelong lose? Do you think? Good question. I think Melbourne were hungrier. You looked at it, you had Max Gorn making tackles, like wrapping players up in big bear hugs, similar yeah. to what Shane Mumford does. Like, yeah. that's that's the sort of thing. I think the desperation out of Melbourne is just crazy. Geelong probably were exhausted, they're tired from playing so much football. Um, like, you got to think, yeah, they've been getting to preliminary finals year after year after year. So they're going deep into September. Uh, part of me says it's the... The, the cheeky side of me says it's dad's army um, for Geelong. Um, but I, I don't know what they can do to, to make that next step. I think there's got to be a complete over... Well, they've got to rethink their strategy, I think, in the, in this um, in these next six months. 
um, to try and figure out the way forward. I, I think I think Melbourne were just hungry and they they wanted the ball. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> who's heard seriously of a ruckman going on an absolute goal kicking spree and kicking four goals in the space of five minutes, sort of stuff? And you're like, you know, going, what on earth? Like, how? With all due respect, how does Max Gorn do that? Yep, good question. So I, uh, I think I think you got to take give credit to Melbourne more so than um, say how bad Geelong were because yeah, I think it might be. I think Melbourne's probably the uh, the better talking point. Yep, fair point. I will touch on the Cats before I mention yeah, Melbourne. Sure. Wrote down some stats here on my phone. Just going to read them out. In round twenty three, Geelong only lost the tackle count by nine, but that was okay because they had 20 more disposals. So it makes sense, right? You have more disposals, you lose the tackle count. That's normally how it goes. This time around, they had three less tackles and 33 less disposals. On the pre, uh, in the prelim final, four out of the top five disposal winners wore red and blue, while five out of the bottom six disposal winners wore blue and white hoops. And that one Melbourne player, amongst the bottom rung was Stephen May, who had an injury scare and had to spend part of the game off the ground getting looked at by the doctors. Mm. Quite simply, looking at those statistics, another slow start in a final. Color me shocked, Geelong. Color me shocked. What was it? Six goals to one in the opening court. Five goals to one. Just like in the 2017 prelim final, the 2016 prelim final, the 2012 elimination final, like every single finals game Geelong has played since the 2011 grand final, almost every single one of them, they have always started slow. I don't know what it is about Geelong and finals football in the first quarter and not showing up until after quarter time when the game is gone. Quite simply, Geelong weren't good enough. And I'll discuss Geelong a little bit later, um, but I have my concerns about them next year. Completely agree with you with everything you said. Um, Just simply weren't good enough. And they can't blame the buy this time either. No, they can't. No, they cannot. Um, No, they cannot. Get on to Melbourne. How do you beat Geelong? We've seen it time and time again this year. You just run at them. You just run at them and you run through them. And eventually, Geelong will run out of puff very, very quickly. We saw that minutes into the game. I think Kane Corns showed, showed highlights of this. Melbourne plays literally a minute and a half into the game, running rings around their Geelong opponents. And that's so early into the game. And that's full kudos to Melbourne because they knew how do you beat Geelong? You just keep running. And their stamina is amongst the best in the competition, Melbourne. And so full kudos to them. And especially when you're in a final how do you demoralize your opposition? Smash them early. Suck the oxygen out of them. And that's exactly what the demons did. And can I give full kudos to Max Gorn? That's probably the best quarter from an individual in a final since Nick Davis in the 2005 uh, semifinal, that last quarter. Sorry, Geelong, for bringing that up. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Now, on to the second prelim final. It was the Bulldogs over the power by 71 points. Uh, yet again, just another shocking contest that was over pretty much 20 minutes into it. 
And we do, why did the power lose this badly? Why did the dogs win by this much? Uh, I think it was a similar sort of case, wasn't it? The the dogs just out-hunted them and out-tackled them and um, just absolutely demoralised them across the paddock. Um, uh, it completely, un, oh, can I say it's unport Adelaide-like? Um, yeah. Because they, they were, they just weren't, they weren't efficient enough, I suppose. Disposal efficiency, 73 to 70.7. Now, it doesn't sound like much, 2.3%, but it's enough. The efficiency inside 50, Western Bulldogs, 51.7%, Port Adelaide, 43.8%. So that's every time they're going in, um, dogs, they're scoring at least something every second time they go into forward 50. It's... They, they won it on in clearances. Uh, they 41 to 35 um, at this uh, overall. And then at stoppages, it's 31 to 24. So they're just unbelievable the way that they controlled the game. And their marks inside 50. Goodness me. Yep. 14 to 9. And that probably tells you the story right there. I'll tell you some more stats that I reckon tells you the story. In round 23... The power put so much pressure on the dogs that Port Adelaide actually had a 10% higher disposal efficiency than the dogs in round 23. Mm-hmm. Three weeks later, the dogs almost 10% higher disposal efficiency than Port Adelaide. But more so, that start, first six goals of the game at quarter time, seven goals for one. I think it was Kane Clons who mentioned this. And normally I don't like saying this about teams because you don't know what a team's preparation was like unless you're involved in it. And I don't think speculating really helps anyone. Yep. But I will say this. I think Port Adelaide expected it to happen for them. I mean, the dogs were coming off such a punishing travel schedule. Launceston to Brisbane to Perth to Adelaide. Meanwhile, Port had the week off great win against Geelong where Geelong didn't show up or the media, you know, was saying like, Oh, is this too much for the dogs? Um, Beveridge was complaining about the fact that they couldn't train in South Australia beforehand because the South Australian government would allow them to. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I think that Port thought uh, it'll just happen for us. You know, we'll, we'll click our fingers and suddenly Tinkerbell mm-hmm. is going to wave her, wand and all of a sudden the scoreboard will show Port Adelaide winning at the end of the game. And yeah, to be perfectly honest, I agree. Uh, And I must admit, I got lulled into that sort of thing as well, because I look at it and go, we went to, um, and especially when Alex Keith got ruled out, like I sat there and I've gone, hang on a second. Like this is not, um, not good for the dogs at all. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yep. Now, I agree with you. And honestly, right, it's like, imagine two runners are running a race against each other. One runner is not allowed to train at all, not allowed to stretch beforehand, not allowed to do their normal routine, while the other runner has the perfect training conditions, perfect everything. They get to the starting line. And just before the starter fires his gun, the runner that has had the perfect, uh, you know, perfect preparation 
is the uh, favorite in the crowd, all of a sudden realizes that their shoelaces are untied. So they go down to do their shoelaces. And all of a sudden, by the time that the gun has been fired, they've somehow strangled themselves with their shoelaces. That's exactly <laughs> what that's like. And you yep. look at it and you go, how is that even possible? How, like, it? honestly, I reckon that if a computer was to simulate that game before it happened with those exact, um, with the exact scenario in which the dogs had to prepare, in which the power had to prepare for this game, a hundred times, 99 times out of a hundred, it probably would have said that it was a close game. And I reckon about 90 times out of a hundred, it would have given Port the win. Yep. An absolute power failure, a power outage, a power. Honestly, I want to ask you this question before I talk about the dogs. Fantastic effort by the dogs, by the way. Why did the dogs win? Quite simply, that start. You know that old football adage when you're playing away, playing at, uh, playing interstate, you have to silent the home crowd early. Yeah. And by about the 10 minute mark, I reckon about 90 to 95% of the Adelaide Oval crowd were dead silent. Oh, 100%. So full kudos to the dogs for that. I thought it was absolutely spectacular. Um, I want to ask you, who was worse? Which loss was worse, Geelong or Port? I'm I'm thinking Port purely because they had so much more to gain out of it. I, I get that feeling. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to say, I'm, I'm saying that. Um, I, I'd love to say, look, I think Geelong's at the different end of their premiership window. I, I honestly don't see Geelong winning it anytime soon. I think they've missed their boat. Um, they're now trying to swim after it and trying to catch up, but it's not going to happen. I yeah, I think Ports was a bigger loss because I'm kind of contradicting myself, aren't I? Because if I'm saying Port was a bigger loss because we expected them to get there, but Geelong have missed the boat, then Geelong have missed the ultimate glory, haven't they? I get what you're saying, though. I get. I know, look, I yeah. agree with you, right? I agree with you because I think Geelong. Um, their window is closing far quicker than Port is. I reckon Port's premiership window is still... I, I uh, think Port haven't hit their premiership window yet. You don't think so? No, not yet. I reckon next year, probably. Okay, interesting. Depending on what if they can what they can get in. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I think, for me, probably just because of the fact that Port were the only team this last weekend actually playing at their home ground uh, means that... And with their preparation and how and how ideal it was compared to what the dogs had to deal with to put up that kind of an effort, especially early on in the game, I reckon Port's loss was worse. Uh, but I reckon the ramifications long-term for this weekend's past performance was far worse for Geelong mm. because they're running out of lives, the cats. That's for sure. <laughs> Pun intended. And 100% intended. Now let's discuss about the final series. What an interesting final series. It has been, uh, MVD, uh, what has been some of your highlights from the final series? The fact that we're there. Can I say that? Yep. How many times did we think that we weren't going to get there this year? Um, and with crowds. With crowds. And the fact that they've taken it to, to Hobart and Launceston, I think 
kudos to the to the AFL. Yes, okay, they're kind of having their arm twisted behind their back to make sure that they do stuff in Tassie. But I think taking it, the two games, two elimination finals, two um, Tasmania, I think that was fantastic. And yeah. let's be honest, both of them were pretty good games. I know, yeah. I know, not for your for you, but they were both pretty good games in in an uh, in a spectacle side of things. Yeah. Um, so I, I would say I'd say that we made it that they took games to Tassie, um, and all we need is just for the ball to bounce at ten past seven our time on Saturday evening. Yeah. To be perfectly honest, I think if we can once that happens. And I think there's a lot of people holding their breath at the moment. Uh, and we'll do a massive great... You'll hear a great big sigh come out of the uh, the west of the town, uh, the west of the country, come 10 past seven on, on um, Saturday. Yep. I reckon, possibly. Uh, is that you tipping, tipping dogs on the, uh, on the weekend? Uh, they're going to be... Uh, this is going to sound weird, but they're going to go in as underdogs. Yeah. The Bulldogs. Um, even after what they did to Port Adelaide in Port Adelaide. Yeah. I, I My head's saying Melbourne. Yeah. Um, kind of feel like my heart's saying Western Bulldogs. Okay. But I, but I, but I don't know at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I've got... I don't really care in some ways, but I've got loyalties to both sides. Yeah. I've got yeah. ex... Um, ex-school kids on both teams. Um, I play. I've played cricket with Latham Vandermeer's dad. Um, yep. So, like, look, I, I could sit right on the fence and get a nice splinter in my backside. But um, <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking Melbourne will win. I'm hoping it's a very, it's a close match. Yep. I'm hoping it's a great spectacle over there. It's going to be a very a close match. You would think so after the two blowouts of preliminary finals. You would think we'd get a close one. Um, but fingers crossed, definitely. Um, but, I'm, yeah, I'm tipping Melbourne by... I'll go early. I'm tipping Melbourne by a goal. Interesting. Uh, I don't want to share my thoughts because there's going to be another episode. I was going to say you're going to come up with it in next the week. week. Uh, later in the you week. Want, I'll give you my Norm Smith medalist then. Okay, go for it. Norm Smith. All right. Clayton Oliver. Yeah, okay, I can see that. I can see that. Interesting. Because you've uh, got to think that, that the Norm Smith medal is determined by the media this time. It's not determined yeah, by the umpires. And you have a look at how many, like, Oliver won different awards across the year. So um, they know what Oliver looks like and they know how good Oliver's come uh, up out of it. So, um, yeah. So I'm going Clayton Oliver for the Norm Smith medal. Uh, Six-point margin to Melbourne. Um, although I could see a six-point margin going to the dogs as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, love it. First, love am, it. I go, am I going a first goal scorer as well for you? Go for it. First goal scorer. Uh, okay, all right. I'll throw this in. Latham Vandermeer, first goal scorer. Wow. Something completely out of the field. Nay, hey, I love it. I love <laughs> it. Chop that up and put that in for you in your next podcast too. Mate, it's great. It is great. Sometimes we do get unusual, unexpected first goal scorers. You think Travis Varco in 2018 or Tyson Goldsack in the, uh, I think it was the 2010 grand final replay, kicked the opening goal of that game. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. So look, full, um, 
Paul, kudos to you for those predictions. You can hear my predictions in the episode coming out later this week. Very interesting stat on uh, on Twitter. Now, I I haven't had time to double check this, so don't quote me on this. I know bad journalist, but apparently somebody uh, saying that Melbourne are zero and one in VFL slash AFL grand finals that immediately follow a magnitude six. Let's play in Victoria. So, they show apparently in 1946, there was a, on the uh, 15th of September, there was a 6.2 magnitude earthquake in the Bass Strait. And apparently after that, they got hammered by the bombers in the grand final. So I'm just saying dog supporters. I'm just saying it's looking, look, that's all I'm saying. History, it's only one grand final to go off of, all right? So don't get, you know, don't get too hyped up dogs fans, but still very interesting. Um, my highlights for the final series, I'm going to give you three. In third place, Aaliyah Aaliyah, that opening quarter against Geelong. Yep. What a fantastic opening quarter. I think he took like something like eight marks, eight contested marks just in that first quarter alone. That's probably not accurate, but it felt like that watching him. He just controlled the air superbly. And that's saying a lot considering Geelong had, you know, Gary Rowan, Jeremy Cameron, Tom Hawkins, great big powerful forwards who can take a big pack mark. And Aaliyah Aaliyah just made them all look like kindergartners, you know? Honestly, it was like it was like an AFL defender playing against, and no disrespect to the VFL, VFL forwards. Right? Yep. In terms of that level, it was just it was it was superb watching that or listening to that. Um, second I'm going to say the ending of the Western Bulldogs Brisbane game and Bailey Smith's goal. Mm-hmm. He is quickly becoming, I reckon, the cult hero at the Witten Oval. And in a game that went down to the wire, scores are level. Brisbane's just kicked a great goal through Barry and Bailey Smith, uh, sorry, through um, Zach Bailey. And Bailey Smith pops up kicks a goal from the pocket, if you don't mind, on the run to put the dogs up by goal. Goodness gracious me, what a, what a thrilling finish. And Lathan Vandermeer with the winning point, the winning rush behind. A thrilling effort. Fantastic game of football. And uh, I reckon Brisbane supporters will be salty about that game for a very, very, very long time. Now on to my number one highlight, Max Gorn, that third quarter, in particular, two goals. That goal that he kicked galloping through the middle of the ground from 50-plus metres out, if you don't mind. And the goal he kicked from the ruck contest, just mm-hmm. grabbing it out of the ruck, almost doing a 360 pirouette like Swan Lake and throwing it onto the boot and kicking a goal. That's the soundtrack we need. We don't need the Titanic music. That's the soundtrack we need. Swan Lake? Swan Lake. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, If I had to say a fourth, I would say the Swans-Giants game. Mm. It was a great game of football, fantastic last quarter. Uh, Now, unfortunately, every final series has a low light. What Do you have one MVD? I think there's one very obvious one. The fact that we're not playing in Victoria? Okay, maybe there's two obvious ones. Okay, what's the other one that needs to hit me between the eyes? (laughs) Probably... Uh, probably Toby Green and his suspension. Yeah, yeah. That's probably fair. I'll give you 
my low light because I think everyone, you know, everyone probably say Toby Green or the fact that the grand final is not in Victoria. I'll give you one and I'll say the prelim final weekend. I mean, you think of all the great prelim finals we've had just in the last decade alone. You right. think of the fantastic uh, Hawthorne Port Adelaide prelim final in 2020. What, what a great it? game. What a great game of football that was. Yep. Um, or the fantastic or 2019. We had two great prelim finals, Richmond against Geelong and Collingwood GWS. Speaking of GWS, their game against the Bulldogs in 2016 voted the game of the decade by footy fans. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I definitely agree with you there. Prelim final weekend was just a write-off. No, so and then, then we had it. Then we've had a boring week off to just sit and do nothing about it. Oh, goodness gracious me! Oh, I thought that I would like the week off because I thought, okay, like the Super Bowl in America, you can have a week of uh, two weeks of build up before the main event. It's going to be great. It's going to be, as the kids say, hashtag lit. I feel so old saying that. Do not but say that. I feel so Seriously, old. I'm about ready to turn off the. Uh, the I'm going to leave the room if you keep going on about that. Anyone listening to this, I am so sorry that I just said that. I apologize, and I promise I'll do better in the future. Yes, just do better. But I I honestly, it's been like, I feel like a kid waiting for Christmas, but Christmas has been postponed for a week. I'm just like, I want, I want the presents under the tree. I want to open the presents. I want the, I want the, what else do we have in Christmas? Um, you know, I want the, I want the presents. I want the food. I want the, the 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 joy and the jolliness i want that now i don't want to wait a week yeah on to the 16 teams that didn't make the grand final and how we think they're going to go in 2022 let's do this alphabetically and we'll start off oh, with okay, okay. Well, all right i thought we we're going to do it from ladder position ah <laughs> oh, okay now right. okay. well look, we can do it we can do it we can do it however you want let's go um let's go alphabetical okay alphabetical We'll start off with the Crows. Is this all right? Is yeah. this all right? Right. Lynch, Tom Lynch, being shown the door, said, sorry, mate, you're not, you're, you're not needed anymore. Taylor Walker, will he be coming back? Will he not be coming back? We don't know. It hasn't been confirmed yet. If he's not coming back, then all of a sudden, the goal kicking comes down to pretty much Riley Silthorpe, and that's about it, and maybe Shane McAdam. Their forward line was already one of the weakest in the competition, only averaging about 10.5 goals per game this year, above only Collingwood, Fremantle, North Melbourne, and Gold Coast. So they're going to struggle in the forward line next year, I reckon, the Crows. Down back, Talia is gone. I'm gobsmacked that they didn't give Talia, you know, they told Talia to get out of there. I am absolutely gobsmacked because, yeah, sure, he's had his injury problems this year. He's only 29, and he's one of the best defenders when he is out there. And Adelaide's defense is so young. And you think of the mammoth scores that they've conceded this year. Yeah. They, it's going to be an interesting one on them. Um, I'm going to watch them and see how they go. Jordan Dawson has requested a good trade there. Yep. That's a big pickup. Which will be handy. Um, I just... Excuse me. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, how they're going to go. You're right, if Tex doesn't come back, and I reckon that's why they've tried to get Dawson, because Dawson's a forward that they can do deal with um, yep. and, and have that. So I I think both Talia and Lynch are big outs um, for them. So 
I reckon they're going to finish similar to where they were this year. I mean, they finished 15th. They could probably take an extra couple of steps up the rung, but it's going to be a slow build for Matthew Nix and his team. Yep, I agree with that. I wouldn't be surprised if it's another bottom six finish. So I told you how they, you know, only kicked 10.5 goals on average this year, only better than four other teams in, in the competition. They conceded the third highest amount of points this year with a yeah, total wow. of 1,971 across 22 games, or about 89.5 points per game. There you go. And all of a sudden, Daniel Tarly is not there. Mate, they are going to struggle at either end of the ground. The midfield is going to have to do a massive amount of heavy lifting next year, and I don't know if their midfield is good enough. So could win another wooden spoon. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. On to Brisbane. Now, ever since Sarah Kipwood went down against Richmond, Brisbane were far too... Charlie Cameron focused and I get it Charlie Cameron's a great player he kicked 25 goals across the final eight games good for about 3.1 goals per game however there are two of those games that I want to highlight as reasons why Brisbane cannot rely on Charlie Cameron as heavily as they did at the back end of this year going forward round 20 against Hawthorne Brisbane kicked 12 goals Charlie Cameron only kicked one of them Brisbane lost by a couple of goals a few weeks later in the qualifying final, Charlie Cameron kicked five goals. So you would naturally think that that meant that Brisbane kicked more goals, right? No, they kicked nine. You cannot, if you rely on just one player to kick your goals and to kick a bag of three or more every single game, you're either not going to kick enough goals because they're going to have a quiet game every once in a while, or they're going to kick a bag and no one else is going to kick a goal. With that being said, pre-finals, Brisbane were the only team to kick more than 2,000 points across this season. Hell, they kicked more than 2,100 points across this season. But with Rayner and Hipwood to come back as the season progresses in 2022, Rayner hopefully earlier in the season, Hipwood right about the midway point of the season probably, I do expect the Lions to not be as proficient in scoring as they have been this year. And don't get me wrong, Cameron and Danaher have had great seasons, mm. but I don't trust either of them, especially Joey Danaher, to have that consistency. That Do you they sound need. like a salty essence border still. Um, look, honestly, no, no, <laughs> just no. Just no, say, no. just saying, it does. No, I know what you're saying because he. I mean, yes, what he kicked at least one goal in every game this year. Though. He kicked at least one goal every single game this year. The first player to do that since Joey Danaher in 2017, and I'm just saying, look. Mm. Can you rely on Joey Danaher when you need him? When the whips get cracking, can you rely on him? He showed this year in the final series that no, not just yet. That's going to be a big year next year for Brisbane. They should challenge for the top four, but eh, maybe they'll have a slight dip. What do you reckon? Uh, I reckon you've covered it pretty well. I reckon you're right. They're going to stay pretty similar, I would have thought, for 2022. Yep, fair enough. On to Carlton. Now, the less uh, said, the better. Yeah, fair enough. But uh, do I, I'll let you start with this one. How will the Blues go in 2022? I think they're going to take a step back. Oh. Um, and that's not because that they're going to have Michael Voss as a coach. I think, um, I just honestly think that they're, they're not going to. I mean, I've been strong on my views in regards to what they should have done with David Teague um, and that they should have kept 
him floating around. I uh, kept him around because once you get into the way things are going, people will start to understand how the, the process works. I think where they were probably three to four years away from really contending in finals and really making a push for a grand final, they're now at least five to six. I think they've pushed their premiership clock back even further. Um, and it's not the people that are on the park. It's not the, and all that sort of thing. Don't get me wrong. It's just the fact that they're too unsettled at, at the top. They're, they're an at the moment, it feels like they're an absolute rabble at the top and they're trying to work their way through it and um, trying to poke holes and try to plug gaps. And it's just not, it's not helpful for the supporters. It's not helpful for the club. It's not helpful for anyone. Um, Sam Petrovsky seaton now wants to leave um, as well. He wants to go back to WA. So, look, good luck to them. But I really – I was bullish on Carlton at the start of the year. Um, I think if we go back, I think I might have had them sitting finishing eighth. Um, but I don't think – I think they're going to take a capital step back next year. Mate. If if uh, if Petrescu Seaton wanted to play for Fremantle, I reckon Carlton would be going hallelujah, right? Send him and maybe one or two picks off to Fremantle. Get Adam Chera, easy. Who does he want to go to? West Coast. Ah, dang it. Mm. Back to square one. And this is the problem with Carlton. Every single time that you think things are just going to turn for them, all of a sudden they're back to square one. And sometimes they're back to negative square one. It's it's just not great for them. With that being said, Michael Voss should, keyword, should be announced as the next Carlton head coach. And I'm excited for them with that hiring. I think it's a great pickup because what they need is they need a tough head coach. I'm not saying David Teague wasn't a tough head coach, but when you have one of the toughest players to play the game, at least in the 21st century, who's well-renowned for uh, for how hard he was in tackling, in bumping. Remember that big bump he put on Alan Richardson? I think it was back when he was playing for um, maybe in 1997, early days of the Brisbane Lions, Michael Voss. Big hip and shoulder shirt front put Alan Richardson into February 31st. That's how big of a hit it was. <laughs> They need some of that because Carlton as a tackling team was just weak as paper this year. It, it was just, it's just unbelievable. As long as they pick and stick. Yep. I don't care. I don't care if they got the queen of England to come down and coach. They just need to pick and stick with someone. That's, yep. that's the biggest issue they've got at the moment. Yes. The members are crying out for success. But, guys, you have to realise things don't happen overnight. Yep. Yep. Maybe this earthquake might have shook them up for all the right reasons. Who knows? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. I still can't believe the Carlton board, in the same press conference that they're firing David T, saying, we fully expect to play final football in 2022. It's, man, you are... They've got uh, Elton John's rose-coloured glasses on. You are breaking. At least Elton John makes you feel good with his music. <laughs> Goodness gracious me. I'd hate to be a Carlton supporter. Heart breaking every single year. Um, and that's coming, that's coming from an Essendon supporter. They know it's saying a lot. 
on to Collingwood, another day cost at the club and a new head coach. I think this means that Collingwood, um, I don't think they'll challenge for finals football because they're second overall pick. That's that's the only advantage of finishing 17th if you get normally the number two overall pick. Yeah. Or, if, or if the team that finishes last gets an extra priority pick, then you get the third overall pick. However, pick number two this year, their first pick in this year's draft got given to GWS in last year's awful trade period. And the legacy of that awful two weeks still continues to plague that Collingwood Football Club. But with that being said, I do think they'll have a better year than 2017. I don't think they'll finish bottom four. They'll finish about 12th or 11th, I reckon. That's my early prediction. And I say that because their veterans are going to continue to slow down. Sidebottom, Pendlebury, Jeremy Howe. And I just, whilst some youngsters are looking really exciting at Collingwood, I just don't think they're that ready just yet to, you know, step in for Pendlebury, Sidebottom, Jeremy Howe, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. They have a very, very, very slight chance of giving the top eight a, a, a real shake. And I say that because McRae, I think, is a great coach with fantastic experience under Hardwick, Clarkson, Mark Williams, uh, coached Richmond's VFL team to a premiership. I think coached as well at a, was an assistant, I think, at Port Melbourne. Maybe. Maybe it was Williamstown. One of those uber successful VFL clubs. So he's got a great resume. And I think that Collingwood will uh, return the finals sooner rather than later. 2005 is a great example. Finished bottom four that year. Didn't win a game, I think, until round 10. Absolute shambolic of a season. Two years later, fell five points short of the grand final. I'm just saying. 2022, maybe not. Watch out for the pies in 2023. Yeah, don't don't disagree with that. Um, although I, I don't... I think, yeah, they, they're going to have to... I don't know about their draft picks and what they've got draft-wise uh, at this point in time because they've got some... Uh, they've got some very interesting things they've got at the moment uh, to work out. Um, just trying to find that for you. I think they've only got... Well, they've got four picks and they're all... 36 to 45 like so they got great second rounders um but i just it's going to be interesting to see how collingwood bounce and and what they do or whether they go to free agency because there's some good players in the free agency market at the moment so Mate, free agency uh i'm trying to think of who they would need from free agency uh who do you reckon well would a talia or a lynch be handy at that be handy there yeah, probably. They could, they could go with, I mean, as much as I don't want him to, um, because he was a Hawthorne player, we could grab uh, Harry Morrison. Yeah, maybe. He'd be, he'd, that'd add extra depth at the at the club. Yep, I agree. Um, do you go to Levi Casbolt and play him as a forward only? Maybe. Maybe double Cobra would be good for them. I don't know. Just thinking out loud. But, yeah, going to be interesting. Essendon. Right. Uh, here's our major problem, right? And I'm going to take off my Essendon rose-colored glasses for a second. I'll put them on later. But I reckon the thing that's going to trouble us next year is that I still think we have a lack of depth across the ground. If it's not Parish performing well, 
then you have to rely pretty much solely on Zach Merritt. And at times this year, it was like, it was either the Darcy Parrish one-man band or the Zach Merritt one-man band or the Jake Stringer one-man band. And sometimes they joined to make a trio, but that was it, right? Aside from them, you didn't have anyone, I think, performing at a consistently high enough level to kind of pick up the slack if Darcy Parrish had a quiet game or if Zach Merritt had a quiet game or if Jake Stringer had a quiet game. Speaking of Jake Stringer, our forward line, especially now that Kale Hook is not going to be there, I think is going to struggle next year. I think it's going to struggle because Jones is still really young. Perkins, who, you know, popped up and kicked a few goals this year, still really young. Peter Wright doesn't perform consistently enough. And so, and Anthony McDonald's tip and Woody, you know, he's a goal sneak, but I don't think he's consistent enough where you can trust him to kick two or three goals every single week. And so for me, there's a real possibility that we could miss out on finals football in 2022. Okay, now putting back on my Essendon colored glasses for a second. Our youngsters, all they need is more preseasons under their belt. So another preseason is going to help them, is going to help their durability and their uh, stamina, which I think should mean, hopefully, I hope to every single God in existence that it means that we stop conceding four goals or more every single gosh darn week that we play. It was such a trend in 2021 and it was so frustrating to watch, but I'm, I'm predicting that trend to disappear. And so I think at best, if I'm really, really, really hopeful, we'll win a final before getting smashed in the semifinal. Worst comes to worst, we'll finish 12th. But we're in, middle, we're in the middle sixth bracket again, I reckon, the Bombers in 2022, because we should improve. But then again, St. Kilda should improve. Carlton should improve. Richmond should improve. West Coast, or maybe we're not West Coast, but most of those teams should improve. So on your point about midfield or depth across the ground, your top five in the Brownlow. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Darcy Parrish and Zach Merritt accounted for 46 of your 78 votes. Everything else in that top five, you got Jake Stringer with eight, Peter Wright with five, Sam Draper with four. Like you look at it and go, right, that's that's exciting. That's exciting to see. But where where does the package play most of his football next year? Midfield, forward. That's one thing they've got to work out in the offseason. Mm-hmm. I also think that next year, if it's, and I know it was probably this year, but next year, you've got to win a final. That it would be a pass mark for Essendon. Yep. Absolutely. Pass mark. They have to win a final. Yep. Break that 6,000, whatever. It'll probably be 7,000 days by the time it's, by the time you clock over next year anyway. So, um, yeah, oh, that's that would be my thought. Essendon to win a final if, if they're to pass. You know, it'd be interesting. We haven't actually made back-to-back final series since 2003, 2004. So it would be good if we can make if we can make finals again next year. But yeah, I agree. Let's let's win a final, Bombers. Come on, eighteen years it would be uh, heading into twenty twenty two. Almost old enough to uh, I best say almost old enough in some countries to drink. Almost. Almost. 
On to the Fremantle Dockers. Hey, they win it. Hang on. They win it. I'll give it a beer. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, if if the Bombers win it, then we'll get on the beer. How about that? <laughs> See the Daniel Andrews-ism. On to Fremantle. Yep. Now, I'll ask you about this MVD. How will the Dockers go? Losing Chera. Losing Chera. But promising signs. Correct. Oh, I think I, I'm, I'm bullish on Freo. I'm more bullish on Freo than I am on West Coast. I'll be honest. Yeah, but is that saying much though? No, but I feel like I can trust Fremantle a bit more. If you can trust Fremantle to win games at home, that's half the games won. Isn't it? They beat West Coast for the first time when Sorong kicked, uh, Sorong kicked that so right goal um, for the first time in a long time. So if they win... If they win 12 games, they're probably likely to play finals. They might pick up one or two against, say, a North Melbourne or a Collingwood or, or someone over at, over in um, Victoria. Um, so I could I could comfortably see Fremantle playing finals next year, if I'm being honest with you. Wow. Comfortably playing finals. Oh, comfortably, yeah. Finishing sixth or seventh. Wow. Imagine a home. Which would be, which would be a home elimination final. Imagine a home elimination final. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What a big event that would be. Um, I can't trust Fremantle just yet. And it's just because they're so inconsistent. Look, I'll give you an, I'll give you a prime example. Their last four weeks encapsulates for me why I can't trust them. Round 20, great win against Richmond. Fantastic win. Last 10 minutes defended like their lives depended on it. And for the first time since 2017, beat this three-time recent premier uh, by four points. Fantastic effort. So you think next weekend, they're hyped. They'll bring the same level of intensity against Brisbane, also in Perth. Brisbane coming off that loss against Hawthorne. You thought, okay, Brisbane are gettable here. They lost by 64 points. Fremantle. And you think, okay, that was a bit of a stinker. They, they beat West Coast for the first time since 2015. They actually beat the Eagles. And you think, wow, great momentum. Fantastic first quarter. They kicked eight goals to start that game. Phenomenal effort. And then they lay a goose egg against St. Kilda in Tasmania. I can't trust them. For every great win they've had this year, they've had an equally shocking loss. And yes, it's very true about their home ground advantage. But with that being said, they lost to the Eagles by about nine goals earlier in the year there. They they kicked only three goals against Geelong in Perth on a night where, yeah, sure, there was a little bit of rain, but still three goals and they lost by 10 goals against Brisbane. I can't trust the Dockers just yet. Plus they have to know, they have to learn, they have to get better at playing interstate. So if early next year, I see that they're performing consistently well, they're winning interstate or at least performing better interstate and they're having good wins at home, then I might change my tune. But until then, I have them just missing out on finals football again. Fair enough. Now, Geelong. Uh, they're on a slippery slope, I think. I think that's probably the fair point. Um, their players are getting older. They're not. I mean, we spoke about it earlier. I can't see them doing a heap of damage next year. If they, But if they make finals, they have to win it from my point of view. Yep. Otherwise, you'll have Selwood, Dangerfield, um, and the like uh, leaving with no premiership, 
well, Dangerfield more so with no premiership, but retiring Hawkins, probably retiring. Um, and you're just looking at that side and going, well, the Zimmer frames are still out for him. Yep. No, I agree with you. I want to ask you a question, MVD. Has GMHBA, as a home ground, lost some of its intimidation factor? Good question. I ask because this year, the choke against Melbourne, they got they lost comfortably against GWS and a young GWS team. It was GWS's under-18 squad, let's be honest. Yeah. And they should have lost against Brisbane if it wasn't for the worst umpiring decision of the year. And they were lucky to beat the Bulldogs there, again, only by five points. And they conceded the opening five goals of the game against St. Kilda there. Yeah. Possibly it could be. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm happy with that. It, 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 is losing, it is losing some of it. Um, and especially with a couple of games that have been that got moved down there for getting games played reasons. Um, it will probably help some. I don't know. There'll be, you still trust Geelong to win their games down there. Like you go in, you, you go in tipping them. So I would, yeah. I, I think it might be, it might have lost a little bit, but not a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Rather than 100% uh, chance, it's probably more 75. Yeah, that's fair. I agree with everything that you said. So uh, let's go on to Gold Coast instead. Now, they were one of the worst defences in the competition, but they are getting Marby or Chol, mm. who should help uh, sew up that defence significantly. However, a great defender coming in is not going to help their forward line which was the worst in the competition. How about this for a big call? I don't think it's a big call, but how about this for a big call? If they continue to have big blowout losses like they had this year, 98 points against Melbourne, 68 points against Essendon, 12 goals against Brisbane, Stuart Dew will not see out the season. Yeah, it's a big call. That's my well, prediction. It, it's probably a fair call as well. I I don't know what it is with Gold Coast. At least they got the endorsement of Tuke Miller. Um, and he did really well on Brownlow night, despite being ineligible. Hmm. Um, I just... Yeah, there's some good kids coming through. And again, the whole pick and stick sort of approach. They've got due. Stick with him, see how it goes. I don't know how many years it'll be now going into, but I just, I think he, he can, he's forming a good squad up there. Yep. He's forming. Yes, they probably do need a forward that will be handy. I thought, um, and then, yeah, they're getting child, which is great. If they can prize a, a big name forward to come out or, or whether they play, if they still got widths on their, I think Wits is on their roster still. Listen to me sounding like I'm an American calling it roster. Um, yeah, I think I think if Wits is on there, does he play forward instead of playing in the ruck and they develop a ruckman? Um, and try and find a different way there. I'm, I'm not sure. So, yeah. 
but I, I would like to see them improving next year. Sorry? And I muted myself. Surely, surely they get better. Now, uh, my computer is about to die. So, uh, excuse me while I run to grab a charger. Meanwhile, MVD, I'll ask you, how about the Giants? How do you think they will go in 2022? Here is where I think we will differ based off of what we were talking about earlier. Uh, what, in regards to Leon Cameron as the third best coach in, in the land? Uh, yes. I'll be, hold on a second. Um, I will be right back. But you, you go right ahead, MVD. No worries. So I'll get all my controversial opinions out while Casper's away from his screen at this point in time. Uh, GWS, I think, uh, look, they're there. They'll be there and thereabouts again. They'll be they'll be knocking on the door. I I don't see them getting better quickly to play play off for another grand final anytime soon. I think the the Ferrari is running out of petrol and needs to be filled up. Um, and therefore, I think we need to um, see how they go. Whether they, I, I was late in the year, I was surprised that they got enough to go to play finals, but that was just me. In the end, I, I, I think I said on the show a couple of weeks, a uh, few weeks before the end of the season, that they didn't, they weren't going to make it. Um, I was surprised when they actually did make it, but in some ways, I was pleasantly surprised. So. I'm I'm going to say they're going to probably just miss out on finals in 2022 at this current point in time. Well, I just came back, so I only heard the uh, only heard the very end of what you said. So I have no idea what you said before that. But wow, what a big call! This well, you, is what I... you made a big call, so I, I'm making a big call too. Yeah, I like it. I like it, mate. I like it. Um, I've got another big call in the. Uh, coming up later in the podcast. But first, the Giants. There's no reason why they can't challenge for the top four in 2022. Right. Because here's why I say that. Made it to the semifinals, despite for most of the year, not having Phil Davis, uh, who else? Stephen Cornelia, Toby Green, due to suspensions and whatnot. They were missing a significant portion of their best 22 from just a couple of years ago from when they made the grand final. And yet, despite that, they pulverized Richmond in round 22. They beat Geelong and Geelong the week before that. They beat the Swans in a final again for the third time. Three strikes and you're out. Despite playing away from home, for the last 10 games or so. And they challenged Geelong in Perth in that semi-final, despite missing their two biggest forward threats in Toby Green and Jesse Hogan. So with hopefully for them a better injury uh, list next year, and hopefully Toby Green pulls his head in, there's no reason why they can't finish top four. Who captains I don't them think next they. Year? What? Who captains captains them next year? Oh, God, that's so difficult. Um, Shane Mumford. Why not? <laughs> they still don't say whether he's going to retire or not. Shane, it'll be Shane Mumford. That's my. That's another big call. How about that? What do you think? 
can Toby Green do it? It surely, surely he cannot. Surely he. I mean, look, I think he's an inspirational leader, but you can't trust him. Yeah. Honestly, you cannot trust him, and so I think they need someone who is inspirational, but is also level-headed. Maybe you go back to Phil Davis or to Callan Ward. You know, Callan Ward had a pretty great season. Yep. I don't know. I don't know. Surely it can't be Cornelio, though. No, nah, I don't think it helped. No, nah. no, nah. not in the slightest. Now, uh, let's get on to Hawthorne. New era at Hawthorne. You know, this reminds me of MVD in terms of their back, uh, their last few games, their, their good form. 2017. Don't mean to remind you of uh, the early 2017 season MVD, but I'll mention it anyways. Back-to-back 86-point losses in 2017 in rounds three and four, one of them to Gold Coast, if you don't mind, mm. before a late-season renaissance ended in just falling short of playing finals football. I think you missed it by a game, maybe game and a half. 2018, you made the you made the uh, you made the semifinals. Now, 2022, they'll be coming from further back. But I expect another uh, jump in improvement in the Hawks. They should avoid finishing bottom four. I reckon they could challenge for finals football. I'll be gobsmacked if they made it. Yeah. But they'll challenge. I reckon they could challenge. Finish maybe anywhere from like 10th to maybe at worst 13th. I'm kind of with you in that. Like completely unbiased sort of opinion. I, I would be astounded if we are playing finals football. But I'd be very happy if we were playing finals football. Um, but I reckon, yeah, gradual improvement is what we'll see. And you got to think we'll probably pick up a couple of other handy sort of players coming through the system now too. Uh, in the come into the system and we'll pick up a couple of extra players. Um, again, the forward line's probably where we need to focus in a little way. Um, Bruce is getting not getting younger. Shields is not getting younger. Um, you got to think Sicily comes back into that side too. So whether Sicily goes and plays up forward. Yeah, which could possibly happen. Um, Kaczynski gets another season better after being, I think, best first-year player. GF will come back. Um, Tom Mitchell, well, does Tom Mitchell stay? We'll wait and see. Surely. Um, but yeah, I'm with you, 100% with where Hawthorne's at. I'm not, I'm not rose-coloured glassing it or anything like that. Um, um, but I do think that we will be better than. 14th next year. I'm pretty confident in saying that. Yep. Fair enough. Um, on to North Melbourne. First wooden spoon in almost half a century. And yet there's quite a lot of optimism for the kangaroos going forward. I, yeah, I, I don't, I, I see them bouncing. I think that they'll. I see what you did there. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that was completely unintended. Um, I think I look. I don't think they'll finish bottom next year. Um, but at the same time, there is optimism. They've got some good young players coming through. 
They've got some wise old heads there. I don't know why they're getting rid of Robbie Tarrant. Like that to me screams stupidity. Um, but if they don't get someone of a Robbie Tarrant quality to replace him, then they maybe they do finish bottom again. But uh, I'm optimistic. They've had David Noble, what, for one full season now? So plus an extra little bit. So I'm, he's embedding the game plan. It's getting there. It's starting to emerge. And I think the second half of the year was um, was fantastic. So I'm confident that North Melbourne will do really well next year. Still probably bottom four, but I don't think I don't think bottom. Surely not. Yep. No. Uh, I reckon this year could be next year for North Melbourne could, could be kind of like what the Crows had this year. Remember how promising the Crows' end of the 2020 season was and how fantastic their start to the season was this year. Let's, so be, honest. Let's be honest. They beat both of those two sides, Adelaide and North Melbourne, for their first wins of the season. Who'd they beat? Uh, Adelaide beat Geelong and North Melbourne beat Hawthorne? No, North Melbourne beat Hawthorne this year. Adelaide the year before. But oh, North sorry. Melbourne. Right, right. Right, sorry. I thought who'd, you meant. They, who'd they beat? Hawthorne. Correct. So there's something about it. We start good stuff going for everybody. <laughs> yep, fair enough. Whoever, whoever, if if any team hasn't won a game by about round six or seven, just look at your schedule at where you play Hawthorne, pencil yeah, in a win. Pencil it in, exactly. Um, I reckon it could be a carbon copy of the Crow season this year, next year for North, as in fantastic start to the year, pinch a couple of massive upsets, uh, a mediocre middle and then a shambolic end to the year. But I'll be surprised if they won the wooden spoon again in 2022. Now, on to Port Adelaide, MVD, the power. Will the power be turned back on or will they be intermittent power failures uh, next year? You're loving these puns, aren't you, today? They are. Uh, Whoever came up with the power nickname, thank you very much. <laughs> I think yes. I think they. I think they'll be fairly strong next year. Um, I don't see them going back. I don't see them going too far backwards. They'll play finals. They should be there and thereabouts contending again next year. Um, and I think. I think they've got a lot to live. Uh, a lot of brightness to uh, to come. Would you say they would be powerful next year? Oh, I think they could be very powerful. I'll be here all week. I'll be here all week. Thank you. You've been a great audience. Now, um, I do think Port, uh, they'll be around about the same mark next year. Yep. I do have an interesting question for you, though, MVD. I reckon it was Kane Corns who suggested that if Ken Hinckley doesn't make a grand final next year, he'll be out. Now, I don't think that's going to happen, but here's my big call. If they have a little dip in form, and they finish either if they still make finals football, but let's say they lose the elimination final, or they make it to the semifinals, but they lose the semifinal, Ken Hinckley will be out. What do you reckon? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think it could it could possibly happen because you gotta you gotta think maybe he could get back to his home, his old club at some point too. He could. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, head coach of Geelong. Potentially. Um, they might be looking for someone soon. So um, see what happens with Chris Scott. But yeah, uh, look, I could see I could see Port Adelaide doing that, to be perfectly honest. I don't know why I could, but I could. Very interesting. Very interesting indeed. Uh, let's discuss Richmond. Richmond. Now, for the first time in forever, for the first time since the dinosaurs narrowly avoided ducking out of the way of that giant space rock 66 million years ago, Richmond actually has a pretty good draft hand. I think it's like something like four first round picks. Now, depending on what they do, I think it will decide whether or not there will be another era of dominance for the Tigers because they can either bring in ready-made players from other clubs and exchange draft picks, or they could go to the draft. Now, I think they should go to the draft because we've seen with Hawthorne, when Hawthorne tried to recruit to get themselves another era, then it hasn't worked. So go to the draft instead, Richmond. They'll probably have a couple of lean years because of that and because of, you know, the lacks of, I suspect Cochin will retire soon, Rewalt will retire soon, Nan Curvis will probably retire soon. Um, all these great players will probably retire soon. As such, there'll be a bit of a dip in form for a few years, but there's no reason why by the middle of the 2020s, there won't be another Richmond Premiership if they go to the draft. Yeah, it's gonna, it's it's fascinating to see what they're going to do. Um, I'm not as bullish on them, I don't think. I don't think they're going to bounce too too much next year. Um, I reckon they're going to stay similar sort of places to where they finished um, this year. I think they might they might struggle to to play finals. Is is Dusty coming back from his kidney? Um, Cochin stepping down as captain. What else is going on there? It's just it's going to be an interesting wait and see and, and see what yeah see what they do with the draft and and whether they do go to it or whether they just recruit. So. Um, I reckon they might just recruit, to be perfectly honest, the way they, they go about it. That's my tip anyway. Yep, fair enough. Now on to St Kilda. What a disappointing season St Kilda had in 2021. Can we, can we talk about that for a second? Right, and St Kilda fans, don't worry. We'll get on to next year. We won't have to talk about 2021 for too long if you don't want to, St Kilda fans. But we are going to eviscerate you guys for just a little bit. Honestly... Was there a bigger disappointment in 2021 than St. Kilda? You go from a semi-final appearance to losing out of your first 10 games, four of them by over nine, nine goals or more, including a 111-point loss to the team that 12 games before you beat in, a, in an elimination final. They dug themselves so deep into a hole. They, they were practically... Honestly, they dug themselves so deep into a hole, they were honestly, they were in France. That's how deep down into the earth they dug. You know that expression in America, you dug all the way to China? They yep. dug all the way to Britain. That's how, I reckon that's, is that the opposite end of the earth from Australia? I don't know. But it doesn't matter. Wherever the opposite end of Melbourne is to the other side of the globe, that's where they were for most of the year. And they tried to bring themselves back. But this is a problem. When you start so slowly, you cannot afford to lose games anymore in the back half of the year. And they had a 
bad game against Carlton and games that they could have won and should have won against West Coast and Port Adelaide and Geelong. And in the end, that's why they didn't play finals football. In the end, not consistent enough. But with that being said, I think they showed enough in 20 at the end, back after 2021 to make finals football again in 2022. I have to 100% agree with you there. 100%. Um, pretty much on all of it, um, I think St Kilda, they've got some good, they've got a good young four, good, good forwards. They've got um, good players all the way across the park. They, they can, they can play finals. Is this a Hawthorne 2009 where we won the flag, although without winning the flag in 2000 and, uh, 2020 for St Kilda? Hawthorne won the flag in 2008, bombed out of the finals in 2009, and then had to slowly rebuild things from there. Um, is that what we're seeing here? Quite possibly. I think it's going to be every Cinderella, that it's going to be the Cinderella story for the next couple of years for St Kilda. Um, yep. the, way the way they're going because of, um, if, especially if Melbourne win the flag this year. So, um, yeah, I, I think, I think uh, St Kilda fans, I still have my friends' words ringing in the back of my head. Um, I want St Kilda to let, um, to be at my funeral so they can let, let me down one more time. Um, it's a classic. It's a it, classic among uh, supporters. Man, I tell you what, when all these St. Kilda supporters eventually pass on, the Saints are going to be busy. I mean, what a funeral they have to attend. Oh, for sure. So, I don't know. Um, I, I think I think they should be back playing finals football next year. I just looked it up. Apparently, the opposite ends of the earth to Melbourne, as in the exact opposite, uh, is off the um, Azores. I think it's plural, Azores Islands off the coast of Portugal, apparently in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. So there you go. There you go. That's how far away St. Kilda dug themselves. They dug themselves all the way to Portugal. Right. <laughs> there you are. Now, on to the Sydney Swans. I expect that there will be a little bit of a reality check in 2022 for the Swans just because Jordan Dawson, that's a big out. Not only that, but the fixture is going to be exponentially harder in 2022 than it was in 2021 for the Swans. Because that's just what happens when you finish in the middle six bracket compared to the bottom six bracket, you get a tougher fixture. And that's apparently how they try to make the fixture more fairer in this competition. With all that being said, could they make finals football again? No reason why they can't. Can they improve and maybe make top four football? No reason why they can't. I wouldn't be surprised if they missed finals. <laughs> so all that hope and then pop the balloon. Well, no, 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 no. It's not, the balloon's not popped yet. The balloon's not popped yet. But the needle is this close. It's about it, an inch or two away. Have you MVD? Cat and the Swans march on to uh, Premiership victory in 2022. Look, the Swans were the surprise packet, I think, for everyone in 2021. Um, I think they did a great job, but I, I could see. I mean, I I could see them playing finals footy again. I don't see why not, and they could probably be winning a final too, um, because you got to think they weren't playing much. They didn't play much at home this year, and um, apart from GMHBA Stadium, I would think that the Sydney in Sydney is one of the harder games to win. So, I, I'm going to say that yes, play. They'll be playing finals footy next year. Yep. 
I would agree with that. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Do I agree with that? We'll see. On to West Coast Eagles. Now, this team I mentioned before in the list of teams that finished below the Bombers that I expect to improve in 2022. I said West Coast, and then I said maybe not West Coast. And here's the reason why. They're, just like Geelong, they're players who have been there for a decade plus, mainstay of this premiership window and of the 2018 premiership team, probably be retiring very, very soon. Nathan Vardy and Darcy and uh, Daniel Vanderbilt already out, already retired. Reckon it will also, uh, that list will include Shannon Hearn soon, Josh, uh, Josh Kennedy. How long does Jack Darling have left? I wouldn't be surprised if the Eagles fell further in 2022. I wouldn't be shocked because one of the things that they had in 2019 and the very rare times that they played in Perth in 2020 that they could still hold, uh, hang their hats on was their home ground advantage. And yet this year lost to a Bombers team that finished 13th the year before lost to North Melbourne, the eventual one of Spooners and got hammered by 55 points by West coast. Uh, sorry, by the Western Bulldogs in Perth and then lost to Fremantle for the first time since 2015. Just like Geelong GMHBA, I reckon the Eagles at Optus Stadium doesn't hold the same kind of fear factor as they used to before. And once you lose that as a premiership contender, you are done for because what else do West Coast have to hold their hat on? Ooh, Liam Ryan can take a specky every once in a while. Big whoop. Yeah, I'm kind of there with you, mate. Um, I think they need to... They need to look at something and they need to do it quickly um, if they're to bounce back. Oh, like I said earlier with Fremantle, I think um, out of the two sides in the, in the West, I think Little Brother's going to be better than the Big Brother at this point in time. Um, West Coast, yeah, going to struggle in the next the next couple of years, I think, with the way things are going. So um, wish them all the very best, but you're right. I think maybe a bit more heartache for West Coast fans than there will be than that, what they're hoping for. Yep, fair enough. Now, interesting question that just appeared on Facebook, asked by the MCG Facebook page, because yes, the MCG has its own Facebook page. Naturally. Which grand final specky was better? Either Leo Barry, you star, or Brendan Goddard in 2010? I'm going to say Leo Barry. Because it won them the game. Yeah. Leo Barry doesn't take that mark. They don't win the game. Brendan Goddard's magnificent mark. Yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong. But unfortunately for St Kilda and St Kilda fans, they didn't win. Yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that. I wonder if the Saints had won. I wonder how we would think about that Brendan Goddard mark. It's, oh, it's an amazing mark. Mm. Probably should have won mark of the year. But they don't count the finals for the mark of the year, do they? They should. They should. I agree with you. But yes, I agree. As is, And I'm not just saying this as a Swan supporter, although, again, I'm absolutely saying this as a Swan supporter. Leo Barry's mark is the best mark of all time. <laughs> Righto. Jesus says hello. Yeah, like 100%. Like on, well, I kept in like, it's a great mark, Alex Shevelinko. Don't get me wrong. But that mark didn't win the game for Carlton, did it? And didn't break a seventy-two year drought. No, but that, like, yeah. In all seriousness, I, I'm, I'm not saying that's a stroke of your ego, but that Leo Barry mark is 
absolutely fantastic. And, and like I said, with the Caleb's wrong goal of the year, the commentary helps it as well. Oh, absolutely. Like a hundred percent that like when you've got quarters singing that Leo Barry, you star and no one knew how much time was left on the game. No, no one knew that would be the last act of a grand final. Like no. that's just, yeah. So no. that was selfless. And considering he stuffed the kick up. Yeah. Dean Cox as well. Yeah. What a way to redeem yourself. Oh, what exactly. a way to redeem from, yourself. Zero, from zero to hero very quickly. Oh, I have a question for you, MVD. Another yep. question about the Swans in 2005. Uh, which act do you think was more remarkable in helping the Swans win? Either that marked by Leo Barry or Nick Davis, the final quarter against the Lons. Okay. Well, if if Nick Davis didn't kick the four goals in the quarter to win the game against Geelong, they wouldn't have been, Leo Barry wouldn't have been there to take that mark. Very true. So make of that what you will. But I mean, I still think that mark is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, considering the pack that was there and the time that ended up being left and all that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, you look at it and if Davis didn't kick the goals, then you wouldn't have been there. I'm going with uh, Davis, that last goal he kicked, which, again, great piece of commentating, great piece of commentary. I see it, but I don't believe it. Again, it was Hutto, though. Classic. Anthony Hudson. Honestly, yeah, I reckon it is. He should be in the Hall of Fame, Hutto, for for commentating. For sure. Thank you, MVD, for joining me for this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. Uh, I guess since you're going for the dogs, good luck for Saturday. Dees. Are you going? For, are you? Wait, what does your heart say? So it's what you said, heart with dogs. No, I, I'm saying, I'm saying Dees to win by six. I'm saying either side to win by six. And okay, yeah, I reckon the Dees will win. Yeah. But for okay, this is going to be a long-winded answer. But for our, for my school. Okay. Yeah. Because we've got a lot of uh, alumni in yeah. this game, and we don't, we haven't had too much. For my school, dogs to win. Yep. For Josh Shackey and for Alex Keith. Yep. And Clayton Oliver to win the Norm Smith. Love it, love it. Thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. Join me and a bunch of co-hosts later in the week as we preview. The 1954 Grand Final rematch 2021 Optus Stadium, Melbourne versus the Western Bulldogs. It promises to be an exciting Grand Final. Until then, adios, mon ami. Bye.